The sports books have the Miami Hurricanes win total at seven and a half this coming season. Are we going over or under? Let's ask an expert. You are locked on Canes, your daily podcast on the Miami Hurricanes, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. For the everydayers, we're available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. So when we're talking about win total over under, had to bring on an expert to help me out with this one. This man is a professional sports handicapper, and he's also part of the Locked On family. He hosts Locked On Bets. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports is with us. Lee, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. If uh, Miami has a great season, I'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I should mention... Lee Sterling is also a South Florida resident and a Miami fan and a South Florida native. So he can speak on Miami a lot more closely than a lot of other professional sports handicappers can. It's okay. Lee, before we get to our verdict on that over or under seven and a half wins, and for reference, Miami only won five games last year, so I can understand kind of a conservative number being put on it this season. Let's talk about how much better this roster should be, Lee, because I look at up front, we'll start with the offense. Mario Cristobal and company, they're they are trying to revolutionize the offensive line, which was a weakness last year, right? When you go out and you add Javion Cohen and Matt Lee in the transfer portal and you recruit a couple of five stars like they did with Samson Okunlola and Francis Maui Goa, who may be the starting right tackle when the season started, um, they're trying to avoid some of those issues they had not being able to get the running game going and getting your quarterback killed last year. <laughs> Nice, nice combination. When you can't run the ball, you can't protect your quarterback. It's going to be a long season. And then on top of that, the turnovers. So what's interesting is you look at the numbers, the running numbers, 128 yards per game, averaging just 3.7 yards per carry. Now, if that was against your top three or four opponents, you'd say, okay. But they had trouble running against some mediocre opponents, and their offensive line has been horrific for the last 10 years. So I think that's going to obviously be the biggest upgrade. And then quarterback. I mean, most teams, a loser starter, and especially Miami, and, and, and Van Dyke is one of the better quarterbacks, maybe not a top five or top ten, but I still believe he's a top 20 quarterback in college football. You just can't compete unless you have someone who's right there nipping at his heels. And, and Steve Garcia just wasn't that guy. He, for some reason, regressed. Maybe not talent, probably in his head. Just didn't. Just didn't have it and wrong. They just had the wrong offensive coordinator. We said this many times. It looked like a great hire. When I saw the last couple games, except for the champ, except for the game that, that Michigan lost, they looked great. They had beaten Iowa. Their game plan was great. They had beaten before that Ohio State. And I'm thinking, wow, he just he defined he's just defined whatever weakness that those two defenses had. And he exploited it, but um, just not not the not the right offense for our personnel, and and all especially going forward. And then the injury to Van Dyke, so uh, the the offense was just mired in and and with a with a horrible offensive line and injuries, and and that's why um, you know tough tough year. Yeah, and so you know, in addition to upgrading the offensive line, Lee. 
Uh, you know, Miami made a big time addition in the running back room, AJ Allen from Nebraska. Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily think he'll start over Henry Parrish, but I certainly think he can compete. If Don Chaney can stay healthy, that'll be a big bonus. I think Mark Fletcher, probably by around the midway point of the year, will really be re ready to make a difference. Wide receiver core, you add Shamar Kirk uh, from JUCO, who was one of the higher-ranked JUCO receivers. You add Tyler Harrell, who can take the top off of a defense. Uh, and Colby Young, I think, could be ready to take the next step. And Xavier Restrepo, if he can stay healthy. So, I mean, I... Listen, it, it, not to mention the offensive coordinator change with Shannon Dawson. Like, I, I'm expecting the offense to look significantly better overall. Oh, it should. And we didn't even hit on on the running back situation. Yeah. So Henry Parrish, I mean, he was hurt. By midseason, he was a mere shell of himself. You have to give the kid credit. He came out and he battled. But I think adding Allen is huge. Mark Fletcher, I watched, only saw him once in person. But I saw him in the state championship game against Central. Here's what impressed me the most. A lot of guys look great against nobody. Right. He looked great against the best team in the state, maybe the best team in the nation, and he got better as the game was going on. I mean, he was breaking tackles. When Central was tiring, he was getting stronger. He might be someone to look at uh, midseason going forward. I think he's the guy that can maybe change the offense, running and also catching the ball. He has great vision. So I, I love Fletcher, and we forgot about Restrepo. I mean, he got yeah. hurt, didn't play in the Texas A&M game. And from there, I mean, he lost, I think he missed like five, six, seven games, something like that. Um, it was over. So losing your top quarterback, your number one receiver by far, uh, the injuries, I mean, it just goes on and on. So the offense was hamstrung, and um, I look for it. I, I wouldn't say they're going to be exciting, but I think they're going to be solid. I want to talk when we come back about the defense. I want to talk about the weaknesses because we're we're talking about the strengths right now. And I know yeah. some of the like a lot of Gator fans watch the show. I guess you guys have no lives and they're going to chime in like, what are these guys drinking the Kool-Aid? They think Miami's going undefeated. They think the Canes are going 15 and 0 college football playoff. We'll talk about the weaknesses as well. But we have the privilege, privilege of being joined by professional sports handicapper Lee Sterling. You guys want to keep it locked right here to Locked on Canes. And keep it locked to FanDuel. And listen, you guys can, uh, as soon as Lee reveals whether we're going over or under seven and a half wins, you guys can lock that in on America's favorite sports book. And of course, you got Major League Baseball going on. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to over-under to who do you think is going to get the first home run, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen today. And for the everydayers, if you want to take your everydayer experience to the next level, I encourage you to sign up to our SMS texting service through subtext. We include the link in the show description below. You get text to your phone dire directly from mine. One-on-ones with you guys. Ask me anything. We give you recruiting scoops, all sorts of breaking news, show notes. You see them before anybody else does. Completely free for the first 14 days. And then if you like it, you want to opt in. $4.99 a month. We give you a lot of extra added value there. 
We are joined by Lee Sterling, Paramount Sports. He's also the host of Locked On Bets, where they give you plays every single day. So make sure to check out Locked On Bets. I had the privilege of uh, co-hosting with Lee for a few days over the last couple of weeks, which was a lot of fun. All right, so Lee, let's take a look at the defense. Uh, I believe Miami has upgraded at linebacker. Francisco Mauingoa uh, is trending to be a starter. Uh, I like the K.J. Cloyd addition from Louisville. I think that's a solid depth option. The Hurricanes added a ton of defensive backs in the transfer portal, including at least one guy who's going to start, I believe, in the form of Devontae Brown. You're loaded up with edge rushers, more question marks at defensive tackle, but how do you feel about the defense heading into this year? Okay, so <laughs> the linebacker position two years ago was atrocious. I think they had the most missed tackles in college football. They were terrible. Took yeah. the wrong angles, missed tackles. I do believe that they were improved last year, but still not good enough. So I think with Malagoa at middle linebacker, they needed a thumper in there. I think that's going to be a big difference. Uh, Basante, I saw him play in high school, and I'm like, wow. he is really Where I think they can utilize him best is on the weak side, in space. You put him – if you put him on the strong side – I think it's going to be tough, but allow him uh, to pursue and make plays in open space. I think he can be a superstar. The all, defensive line should be solid, nothing special. I would say that um, Leonard Taylor is probably the best of the bunch there. What concerns me sometimes is he can make two plays in a row behind the line of scrimmage, and then you don't hear his name for a half. No, so right. got to be a little more consistent. But the weakness, in my opinion, this year will be the secondary. Cornerbacks, it was not good last year. DJ Ivy had a few moments, like in the Texas A&M play great. But other than that, the cornerback position was not great, but it's much worse this year. Problem here is Devontae Brown might be the best. Other than that, they've got question marks. They've yeah. got guys that coming in from other programs have not proven a whole lot. Uh, and also Couch, at times, freshman year looked good. Last year, not so good. Uh I have some real questions about the cornerback position. And then James Williams at safety, you know, he can make a incredible hit, but he goes for the kill shot, which sometimes you end up missing. And in coverage, I think he's poor. I think he's really poor. So they're going to have to get a pass rush. If they get a good pass rush last year, they had 37 sacks. If they get 35 to 45 sacks. I think they'll be uh, successful. The numbers weren't horrible. This is crazy for a five and seven team. They only allowed four yards per carry, only wow. allowed 143 yards per game. They only allowed 60.9% completion percentage, but they lost seven games. bunch of the games were turnovers. They were minus three in turnovers. Usually that it, it's quarterbacks usually uh, can, can obviously determine uh, turnovers the most, but um, that Duke game was absolutely atrocious. There was another game. They were minus three in turnover ratio. So, they take care of the ball more, uh, better play calling. I think they're in year two of a three-year rebuild. I, I think things are looking you know, like they're on the upswing. Real quick, so you mentioned your weakness on defense, probably the defensive backfield. Uh, what about on offense? Do you look at any, any point of that offense and say that could be a weakness this year? Maybe only the offensive line because they haven't proven themselves. Yeah. I mean, they could end up being the strength of the unit. I think they're going to be – I think people are going to be shocked. I mean, we just couldn't win battles hand-to-hand -hand combat. I mean, we could not. We third and one. I mean, it was like K-1 
can we just do play action every single time? <laughs> have a better chance usually of getting a first down. It seems like we lost more yards on third and one than gained uh, a first down. So uh, I think the offense is going to be fine. I, I really do. Do we have any great receivers? No. Restrepo's good. He's a really good slot guy. Colby Young is good. But um, I just think they're going to be solid. You know, we, we only scored 23.8 points per game. I think we'll be right around the 30 points per well, game. And, and that stat included the uh, the Bethune-Cookman game. If you take right, that out right. of it, it was 19.4 right. points right. per right. game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so with that all said, I'm looking at the FanDuel number, Lee, and anyone can lock this in at FanDuel.com. Um, over under seven and a half wins. Now you also have to look at the juice here uh, because yeah. they're they're telling you even though the number is at seven and a half, uh, they're telling you the sports books are expecting Miami to win seven yeah. or less because it's minus one seventy if you go under seven and a half wins, mm -hmm. meaning you have to bet one hundred seventy dollars to win a hundred dollars on that. If you go over seven and a half wins, a hundred dollar bet wins you one thirty eight. It's plus one thirty eight there. So. Uh, they're, you know, they're not really expecting Miami to win more than seven games. If I go by that number, Lee, what do you think? Cause I, I do think they're going to win around eight games next year. I haven't given my official prediction yet, but I think it's going to be more than seven. I do too. Did I bet it? No, I, I, I'll probably play eight to 10 overs and unders mm. on win totals. Miami of Ohio's a gimme. Well, we can't say gimme's anymore because we lost yeah. last year to Middle, Middle Tennessee. Tennessee yeah. <laughs> uh, Bethune Cookman's a win. That's a gimme for sure. Yeah. And I would say Temple, pretty sure we're going to win that game. And we should win Georgia Tech. Should be four yeah. wins right there. Should be. So all you got to do is split. Uh, Florida State at Florida State's going to be really tough. I mean, they're going to be good this year. This is their year. Clemson at home is going to be tough. Should beat Boston College. Should beat Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. Should beat Virginia. And we should beat NC State. I mean, they lost their quarterback. He transferred out. I, I haven't thought the talent's been anything special there the last couple of years. Um, I'll go. I think it's right around eight also. So, yeah. slight, slight lean to Miami over the seven and a half wins. If they win nine, uh, we'll be all excited. Yeah, in ten, um, Mario should be coach of the year. I've had some people in our in our YouTube comments, Lee, who claim to be Miami fans. This one guy, he and I'm sure he'll turn up in the comments again today because he every now and then he turns up in the comments and he says anything under eleven wins is fireable from Mario Cristobal. <laughs> and he said that multiple times. And then another guy said uh, anything under ten wins is a failure. So it's like I don't know, man. I I'm with you. If they coming off of five and seven, if they win nine, I'll be okay with that. All right. Obviously, I'm going to be setting the bar higher and higher every year, but I'm not expecting eleven right. wins or bust this year. I, I think seven is is the, is the bottom. Uh, is 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 the the bottom. If we don't win seven games, it's going to be a disaster. But um, just look at draft choices. We really didn't have any any guys drafted of significance. Right. And that kind of tells you there wasn't much talent on the roster. And there were some games like Texas A&M last year. We should have won the game. I think we were 0 for 4, 0 for 5 inside the 20. I mean, the play calling was atrocious. I thought we dominated the line of scrimmage. So I think the key game is going to be Texas A&M. Why do I say that? You win that game, then you're probably beating Miami of Ohio. There'll be a they're seven and a half point underdog. And I like them right now, plus seven and a half at home. Texas AM, mm -hmm. look it up, is not a good road team.
And okay. if they come up with the right game plan against their quarterback, Connor Wegman, looked at this kid, you got to flush this kid out. You got to rush him up the middle. He's big. He's like 6'5". He's a monster. Power arm. But make him go side to side. He just – he can't throw – He he's no Francis Tarkington. <laughs> Going back a little bit. Or, or uh, Lamar Jackson, should I say. Yeah. Uh, so that's the key. I'm, we'll talk about that as that game approaches. But uh, I just think if they win that game, they've already beaten Miami of Ohio. Then they got Bethune, Cookman, Temple, 4-0, Georgia Tech, 5-0 at North Carolina. Big game, big, big game. That'll be a tough game. So you beat Texas A&M, you got everyone behind you. You lose that game. You know the way these Miami fans are. They'll be talking about firing Mario. Who else? Let's let's just end with it. Who else is going to coach this team and get them to the next level? I think it's Mario or Bucks. Right, right. I hate We're, to say it. I'm with you. <laughs> Good stuff as always here at Lee Sterling. Follow him on Twitter at Paramount Sports. Check out his website, ParamountSports.com. And check him out every day on the Locked On Podcast Network. He hosts Locked On Bets. Gives you guys uh, three plays every single day. Lee, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, Alex. Guys, keep it locked. When we come back, we're going to bring on sports and entertainment lawyer Alan K. Fertel and talk about the NCAA offering this warning that apparently NCAA rules now supersede state law. Is there a real legal argument for that? We'll discuss next year on the Locked On Podcast Network. Okay, so the NCAA has put all of their member institutions on notice that no matter what your state laws may say about NIL regulations and the process of whether coaches can contact players and the NCAA saying no matter what your state laws say, we know better and you have to follow our rules, even if those conflict with the state laws. Now, I am not a lawyer, but we have a friend of ours who is, and that's Alan K. Fertel, sports and entertainment lawyer. So, Alan, you have combed through some of the fine print on all of this stuff because there are 32 states that have laws on NIL enforcement. In many of those states, their regulations conflict with the NCAA's regulations. So the NCAA is now telling schools, you better follow our rules, not your state's rules. Well, you're totally right. Uh, there was a memo to the member institutions on Tuesday by the NCAA urging them to follow the NIL rules that were set forth by the NCAA in lieu of the more lenient guidelines set forth by the various state laws. If a state law permits certain institutional action and the NCA legislation prohibits the same exact action, they must, the underline must, follow the NCAA legislation. Can you say litigation? Can you say everything that I have told you about for the last couple of months, last couple of years, is it's just, it's a beautiful time, and I tell you this and you love it, to be a sports litigator. Okay, this is the time right now. Um, it's a sports lawyer's dream. You said it right. 32 states have enacted NIL laws, but we're really concerned about what we're going to call the big four. Mm. Uh, there's not one federal law. I've always talked to you about what's called federal preemption, which, which means one federal law that controls all of this NIL. We don't have this. This is, in my opinion, the NCAA's attempt to force the courts to come into play and to finally decide on a, a federal statute across the board, one statute, one size fits all, every state, Alaska, Alabama, Florida, all the same. So the big four right now are, let me give it to you, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, 
and Arkansas, okay? And what they have is a clause. Most of them have a clause in their statute that says if the NCAA takes any action, it's illegal. Mm. So that wow. sets it up right there. So the NCAA is going to go after, let's just talk about Texas A&M for a second, okay? Yeah. They've got what's called the 12th Man Plus Fund. And that is a bunch of businessmen in, in, uh, in Texas uh, that form what's called the collective. And you and I have spoken about what collectives are. Um, collectives are business and business-driven organizations that have formed to pool resources and NIL opportunities for their athletes. Uh, the Texas statutes, which goes into effect on Saturday, prevents the NCAA from levying punishment against A&M and all Texas teams and also allows these collectives to become 501c3 nonprofits. The NCAA's enforcement of their rules against Texas A&M's collective is certain to cause the legal system to get involved, which triggers lawsuits, appeals, case law, and probably, like I told you earlier, federal preemption. The question really, Alex, is what is the NCAA going to do? If they enforce their rules and penalize the schools, the schools are going to sue the NCAA, which could then cement the concept of state law superseding the NCAA rules. Will they take their shot? The NCAA has a horrible, horrible win-loss record in the court system. <laughs> That's right. If they do nothing, the NCAA risks losing all credibility, not that they have much credibility to begin with, but if the NCAA does not take a stand, they become irrelevant. Because wow. as, I, as I told you, and I, I'm sorry, I keep saying as I told you, but we've talked about this so many times. It's perfect. If the NCAA doesn't make a move now, it's over for them. Wow. Because the state laws will all, all these other 28 states will take over the same kind of laws that Oklahoma and Arkansas and Missouri and Texas have. So it's clear from the way that the NCAA has handled this or mishandled this that they have absolutely no idea what they're doing in the NIL space. If they don't take a stand, they become irrelevant. If they take a stand, they force litigation. And it's, it's interesting because Arkansas law, the universities shall not uphold any rule, regulation, standard, or other limitation outlined by the NCAA or any conference that prevents student athletes from earning compensation for the commercial use of the student's athletes' publicity rights. Wow. That's straight off a statute from a state yeah. telling their state citizens that the NCAA is powerless against them in that state. Oklahoma prohibits the NCAA from interfering with in-state schools in the establishment of agreements with the third-party entities, the collectives, to act on its behalf to arrange NIL activities for its student athletes. Missouri is even better. It creates even greater latitude for the NIL activity than is allowed by the NCAA and other states. Quote, an athletic association, conference, or any other organization with authority over varsity interscholastic athletics shall not entertain a complaint, open an investigation, or take any adverse action against the school or its employees for engaging in activity protected under this law. 
Game on, Alex. Okay, so you have very well described why the NCAA would want to take on this fight. It's self-preservation for them, okay? But the NCAA fighting this fight, um, now we know the NCAA will do things in their own interests over the interests of the student-athletes, which is really what they're supposed to be you know, upholding and protecting. Um, so the NCAA, are they acting in the best interest of student athletes here? Cause wouldn't it be better when it comes to players being able to, you know, profit and capitalize off of name, image, and likeness to have less regulation, not more. Okay. So we know your position on the NCAA. You've been clear about that for a long time. I'm a Miami yeah. fan. No Miami fan right. likes the NCAA. They're, they're bad. They're bad. <laughs> We're good. Okay. Yeah, so right. that, that, and, and I understand that. Yeah. But right now, think about this. It's unfair that a kid in Alaska and a kid in Alabama are treated completely differently under their own NIL laws. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's just unfair. Right. And it's a problem because it gives Alabama and universities in Alabama, I'm not just talking about the University of Alabama, it's a state. Mm -hmm. So any university in Alabama has an unfair advantage if the laws of their state are better than the laws elsewhere. I always talk to you about California. California allows high school students. Florida yeah, doesn't. That's right. So if you're a high school student in Florida, aren't you really at a disadvantage if there are high school students that are allowed to make money elsewhere? Right. So that's why I think in this case, and I, and it's it's weird for me to actually say this. Out you loud. want federal preemption. That's what yes, I've always here. wanted that. And here you got the NCAA. Remember who the NCAA was and who they're trying to be. They've got this guy, Charlie Baker. He is now the new Fidel Goodell of the NCAA. There's no more Mark Emmert. Okay, he's gone. Right. He's 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 hit the road. He lost on he lost on this badly and tried to slither away. So they needed to bring in a a, politi a politician, a political guy. This guy was the governor of Massachusetts. He knows how to play the political game. He knows he had to take a shot, or he was going to get run over by the states. And if he didn't take this shot, even if it's a losing shot, he's going to take this shot because he has to. Because if he doesn't, he's impotent. Okay, mm -hmm. And if he does, the worst he could be is a loser in, in the case. But if this case, if this uh, new rules and regulations cause federal preemption, then he has won. Because he's taken the power away from the states. He's given it to the federal government. They're going to have a law that's across the board. They're going to have the NCAA involved in putting that law together because it's not going to be about individual states. It's going to be about one uh, universal, uniform, cogent, consistent set of rules that applies to every college student. It should not apply to high school students. This yeah. should be a college rule. It's too young when you're 16 and 15. It might be too young when you're 18, 19, and 20. Okay, but that's not the issue for today. The issue for today is the NCAA finally grew a pair, took a shot. <laughs> well, they, they did. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. What are we doing today, Alex? We're talking about the NCAA. We're not talking about uh, the NBA or a 10-1 Marlin win over the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> or the NFL. Which was awesome, okay? Yeah, it was awesome. What we're really talking about today in the dead season for sports is the NCAA. And that's good for the NCAA. Even if it's bad press, we know that besides the Kobe press, okay, if it's bad press, it's still press. Yeah. And they're, they're in play. And they're, it's game on. And the lawyers are going to be litigating. And then there's going to be real cases in court. 
And then there's going to be appeals. Remember what I told you? Because we have no appeals and no trials and no decisions, there's no guidance. So it's the Wild West right now. Everyone's doing whatever the hell they think is right. States are taking really stupid positions. I mean, come on. We all know. We no, no. We all know that even though I don't like Ruiz, okay, he's not doing anything improper under the current guidelines. But everybody thinks he's doing something improper, first of all, because he's doing it for the U, mm-hmm. which makes it improper automatically to the rest of the world. But secondly, he's following the state statute. Right. That's crazy. So everybody likes to criticize the guy, and I'm one of them. But he's teaching the kids a, a, a vocation. He's teaching them marketing. He's teaching them about the other side of the camera. He's teaching them about business. He has a life wallet. He's got cigarette. Those are real. That's not a collective. That's not a bunch of really rich guys taking a bunch of money, throwing it into a pot, and buying athletes. It's not that at all. It's completely different. And what I think, I think there's going to be very significant restrictions on the collectives. I think it's going to have to be more of a business-oriented situation versus a recruiting and booster and, 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 and all of the negative connotations that come with that. But right now, these states are getting very aggressive, and I think they're overplaying their hand right now. But it's their time. There's no case law on it. Uh, the the, the their state statutes have not been preempted federally. I don't believe that the NCAA wins the legal argument hmm. of you're a club, we're, we're a volunteer membership organization, and you really don't have to be a member. Yeah, I want to be an NAIA guy instead of an NCAA guy. That's, that would really be good for my university. Uh, the University of Miami, uh, NAIA champion, doesn't <laughs> quite do it for me. So, while it is a membership group and while it is voluntary and there's no gun to your head, it just makes no economic sense yeah. for big universities to be affiliated with anybody but the NCA. Wow. Darn good arguments here. Uh, we appreciate your time as always. Alan K. Fratell. Thank you so much. The, the fact that you're actually making me kind of root for the NCAA just tells me how good you are at your job, that you were able to do that. I'm not representing them. I'm just giving you the info and I love to do this. And thank you for calling me. And, you know, the information comes up, you bring, you bring it up, you get me. I tell your, your I peeps, I, I tell all, all of the UEs out there and uh, maybe you'll have me back again. Who knows? You never we know. We sure will. We sure will. Thank everyone so much for tuning in today. Alan K. Fratell, awesome job. Lee Sterling, who was on before Alan, fantastic job. We'll talk to you guys again next time on another episode of Locked on Canes, part of the awesome Locked on Podcast Network. There he is, throwing up the U, your team, every day.